truths declare what our truths are. Therefore, I don't want to hear truth from you because if I hear truth from you, it might disturb the way that I'm living. It may uh, bother my whole thinking process. Even for Christians today, and I say this even saying it to myself, we got to stay in the Word. And we don't go to the Word looking for what pleases us, but we go to the Word looking for God's Word to speak to us and to direct our paths. You can go in the Bible and find anything that you want to find. But when the Holy Spirit is in charge and teaching, you won't find what you want to find. You're going to find about you and what needs to be corrected in your life. And oftentimes, we don't want that truth. We pick and choose. I've been praying for our president that he would understand he can't pick and choose that when a crisis is happening or death is taking place or this is taking place, you go to the Bible, pick a verse, and you go there and you share a couple of verses with the people while they go through their grieving process, through whatever danger that they've gone through. But then when it comes to issues of life, you want to use some other book. What you oppose is in that same book you're pulling this other stuff out of. Truth is something that we have to be willing to acknowledge. And oftentimes our young people, and we just don't want to acknowledge truth. And there's reasons why we don't want to acknowledge truth. One of the basic reasons why we do not acknowledge truth is because we doubt God. We're scared to say God doesn't exist. Because grandma, grandpa, mom and dad has taught us enough to know God is. But he's like an absent landlord (laughs) that doesn't care what's going on in your life. And therefore, we do whatever we want to do. And that's not true. God is very concerned about our life. Just to bring us back a little bit up to date of where we went with the first message, because this message is going to lead us into John chapter 4. That we can't even worship God in spirit and truth without getting some things corrected in our lives. Because God, when you come to him, you've got to worship him in truth. And you have to worship him from your spirit. And we'll go into that a little bit further next week. But the whole process is that this kind of like leads towards this. That God is. Members in, in, in Numbers 23, 19, it said, God is not a man that he should lie. God doesn't have to lie. And we need to understand that about God. That what God has said to us is not a lie. But so many people think God is lying to keep them away from something. Much like Adam and Eve. Satan said, hey, boy, if you eat this, you'd be like God. You know? And they thought God was trying to keep them what? Away from something. See? And oftentimes today, we think God is trying to do what? Keep us away from something. Keep us away from the one we love. Keep us away from the life that we want to live. Keep us away from that. How many of you understand we live, a lot of people live... In an illusion. A lot of people live in a make-believe world. A lot of people live with a lot of misbeliefs. Now, how many of you have done this? You wrote the check on Friday for $100, knowing you didn't have $100 in the bank. But you got your check in your pocket. But what you're telling yourself is this. You're going to get to the bank and make the deposit before when. But what you did not count on was something interfering or something happening that you didn't get where. But you believed or thought 
because you had $100 in the bank, so you sent the check on because you really believed you were going to get there. See the misbelief? Understand something. The world does not function on good intentions. Your daddy don't want to hear that you had good intentions of, of getting there on time. You know. We have to deal with truth. Either the money's there or it's what? Not there. It's just that simple. You can have some stock. And that stock is only worth $40 a share. But you believe, boy, it's going to be $100 a share. But it keeps going. It may not never reach that $100. But we're going to believe like, boy, yeah, that's going to become $100 a share and I'm going to have this much money. I just believe that. I just, just because you are believing that, does that make it so? I understand some with the philosophy, you speak it into being. If you could speak it into being, you'd be God. Understand that concept. I speak it to God and it was God's will. <laughs> yes. But if I could speak things into being, I don't need him. See? Turn with me to John chapter 1 because that's where we left off with our last sermon and, and that whole basis to understand something. We need God's favor to be able to accept truth. You and I are exactly what God said. We would believe a lie rather than to believe truth. And we can see it in everyday life. All these folks who call themselves shacking up are living in a lie, in an illusion, hoping that things are going to what? Work out, be better, this and that, and one day he's going to marry me or she's going to marry me. That's an illusion. And we believe it to be true for a moment. And we're going to talk about why we believe it to be true in a moment. But to really deal with truth and to face truth and to live life in truth, it takes the grace of God. You ever heard this little saying, the truth hurts? It does. When you got to face reality and you got to face truth, it really does hurt. And therefore, you need God's grace and God's favor. John 1.17, look what he says. And I like the way the Holy Spirit, who is the author of God's word, put words. And sometimes, look how words follow each other. He says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth. Grace and what? Yeah, grace first, then what? Truth. You need God's grace. I need God's grace to handle truth. I can't handle truth by myself. Most of us will run from the truth. That's why we don't examine ourselves. We really take a good look at ourselves. And we tell ourselves a lie. Because we don't want to really deal with truth. Because truth hurts. I was with a family for about five, six hours yesterday. And the mother was sharing with me. She's dreading when her daughter gets out of prison in August. And she's dreading this and dreading that. And the other two kids were sitting in there. One daughter, one grandchild. And they said... Mom, you put too much. We can't do anything without this one. You're trying to rescue this one, but you don't care about us. All the time, everything goes into this one. We're here too. And mom's trying to say, well, that's the one who needs me. That's the one who needs to help. I don't want her to starve. I, 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 I don't want her to be this. I don't want her to do that. Mom's trying to help her in business, to set up business. Mom's the one's getting ready to graduate from Ohio State and the trip is to go to Paris. And they're trying to say, Mom, 
We don't want to wait for her to get out of prison. We don't want to take her. We know we get over there, what's going to happen? She's going to be looking for drugs. She's going to be looking for this. She's going to be out partying. She's not going to really be. And she's going to make the trip miserable. And they're going on past records. Mom is saying, no, she's part of the family, and we want to do this, and we want to do that. The truth is, Mom, your kids are trying to say something to you. They don't want to go on a vacation with her and get over there. Then all the attention goes on her. And we can't enjoy you and you can't enjoy us. That was some hard truth for mom to have to deal with yesterday. But there's times we got to really deal with truth. We got to deal with truth with our own family. Okay. Sometimes people in our family, we know they're lost. and They're not walking with the Lord. They don't care nothing about the Lord. That's the real, but our, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, he said a prayer back when he was three years old, when he was five years old. Better check that prayer. Hey. The whole process, sometimes what we want is not the reality. We got to deal with that. Grace, then truth. I'm in a marriage where the woman don't love me or, or the man don't love me. I got to deal with that. That's truth. See? To allow somebody to just walk over you and disrespect you and abuse you, that's not love. You got to deal with truth. If he abused once, he'll abuse the second time and third time. One time is too much. You've got to deal with truth. If somebody steals from you, you need to understand. They're a thief. That's the truth. Here's this truth. I robbed a bank... I got away with it, and boy, everything's working well. I, I didn't get caught. So the truth is, yes, I did rob a bank. The truth is, I did get X amount of money. Truth is, I didn't get caught. That's all true. Guess what I can do? I can go do it again. Hey? And I can do it again. And I got X amount of money. Hey? And I didn't get caught. That strengthens what? My truth area. See? And I really believe, hey, this is the truth. I can do this and not get caught. And I believe that. And I do it again and I get caught. What happened to your truth? Skepticism. The doctrine of ancient Greek skeptics. That the truth of all knowledge must be questioned. And inquiries must be a process of searching it out. Of doubting it. So we have a group of people, a number of people today, who doubt God's truth. Based on this fact. I haven't experienced it. Or I don't know it. And therefore, who is to know what is true? And the skeptic, this is the bad part about the skeptic. He has the truth, but the thing is, he don't know it's truth because he's doubting what he calls truth. And the skeptic is always in doubt. And the doubt is, can God do? Can God perform? Can God keep his promises? People who believe in the Bible, you'll hear from this way from a skeptic. Don't be so sure. You ever anybody tell, tell you that? Don't be so sure of that. Hey, I'm going to heaven. How you know? Don't be so sure of that. Hey. See, you, you either know you're going to heaven or you know you're not going to heaven. 
You can be sure of that. Without Jesus Christ, you can be sure you're not going to heaven. Hey. You'll hear people say, don't be so dogmatic. Don't be so dogmatic. You ever hear the young folks, especially with old folks? Y'all always using the Bible. Get out the Bible, y'all see what the world doing. No, stay in the Bible and you'll understand what the world doing. Hey. The whole process is this here. They doubt. The skeptic is always in doubt. And they don't like people to be dogmatic. Why? Because truth is only truth for me and then there's truth for you and there's truth for someone. There is no absolute truth. So the skeptic don't want absolute truth to be in their life. And there with God's truth is absolute. It's absolute. It's sure. Then you hear, have an open mind. Well, the Lord says, have the mind of Christ. If you really have the mind of Christ, you have an open mind. You have an open mind to that which is right and that which is wrong. And you know it. And you can deal with many things. The agnostic. The agnostic is that person who plays on this area of being ignorant. I don't know. I don't know because I don't know if that thing can really exist or not exist. It's the agnostic who comes up with this thing of the unknown, the unknowable. I can't really know it. So we know a man has a mind, but we really don't know the mind. And we don't know how much of the mind that we can really know. Therefore, we don't really know the mind, even though we know he has a mind, but we don't know how deep that mind is. And therefore, a skeptic, an agnostic says, there may be a God, may not be a God, but he's unknowable. Can't really know him. And this is what you hear from an agnostic, a person, show me God then. Now, understand something, now we begin to play with words. Because you begin to tell me about your God, well, that's your belief system, that's not God. <laughs> Catch the difference? Your belief system. So you can believe whatever you want to believe. That doesn't make it what? True. Because you can't really pre present the real evidence for it. Okay. And that agnostic calls himself taking the safe position of ignorance. I don't deny him, but I don't say that he is either. Turn me to Second Peter for a moment. Second Peter chapter one, five and six. He simply says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, what? Knowledge. For the agnostic boy, okay, here's knowledge, but now you got to keep what? Growing in what? Knowledge. You keep growing in the knowledge of God, eventually you will convince yourself there is a God and that God is real. What keeps a lot of young people from acknowledging that God is real and really knowing God's power is that they stop what? The growing process. They stop the hearing process. For faith cometh by what? By hearing. And hearing by faith, your knowledge grows. But when you avoid that, a couple of our young people today, they in the church running around and I said, where's your Bible? Where's your Bible? Now, two weeks ago, we, we talked about that. Bring your Bible. Why? When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you can mark it. You can underline it. You can add a note to it. And once a while, I listen. That, how long do you remember what you just heard? See, God gave us this book for a reason. To learn it. To study it. And guess what? In just one lifetime, you'll never glean all the knowledge that is in there. And he says, add to your knowledge. So 
So what's God is saying? Okay, let's let's learn. So I learn. I take one step of learning. I'm there. Let's take another step of learning. I'm there. Let's take another step of learning. I'm there. You will never exhaust God. And it's that ongoing learning. The pet. The pragmatic, the test of truth. And this is where a lot of our young people are at. The thing is this here. If it's workable, then it's true. If it meets my satisfaction, then it's true. Okay. If it pleases me, it's true. Okay. So we get a living couple who say, look at us. We're just like two married people. We're happy. We're committed to each other. We don't need a piece of paper. And then when something happened, you wind up with nothing. Why? Didn't have the paper. <laughs> Young man out there driving, having an accident, you get nothing. Been with them a while? Why? Don't have a piece of paper. You go to the hospital. This happened to my sister. She called herself living with a guy. Lived with him for about seven years. Eight years. And the young man got hurt. When I say young man, there's older. Some of us get older and we still act young and foolish, don't we? And he went to the hospital. They took him by, am, by ambulance. She went running down there. And they had to do surgery. And they had to have somebody to sign. Guess what question came to her? Are you the wife? No. Goodbye. Had to call the mother, get the mother down there to sign for him to have surgery. Well, it don't matter if you've been living with him seven years, eight years. You're not the wife. You can't sign for him. You can't speak for him. And with the Privacy Act, we can't say nothing to you about him. But the lie is... Oh, look at us. We're happy. We're satisfied. So therefore, we believe we're living in truth and nothing's wrong. And everything's wrong. And there's no absolute truth. And the only thing for the pragmatic is this. Is it workable for me? If it works and it makes me happy, then it's true for me. But it may not be true for who? For you. So there is this truth of an older generation, and sometimes you'll hear the younger people use this argument. Older people said nobody walked on the moon. Well, it was right. Back in 1915, 1920, 1930, nobody walked on the moon. So for that generation, it was true. Nobody walked on the moon. But when we come up into the 70s, we have it. Somebody has walked on the moon. Okay? That becomes true. Now, does that mean that truth is changing? No. From generation to generation, that you have to adapt what is truth based on life? No. It means that discoveries are taking place. It's always been that man could walk on the moon... God didn't say he couldn't. He just had to discover what? How to do it. So in that line, it's always been true. Jesus gave us truth, and this is what is not understood today. Jesus gave us truth to put into our value system. Into our system. And this value system leads us into wholeness then. 
I agree with what something Charles Stanley said the other day. If people really dealt with truth, what would happen with depression? What would happen with mental sickness? What would happen with all the delusions that people have if they dealt with what? Truth. Because the scripture says truth sets you free. It sets you free from what? From that which entangles you or causes you to be in bondage. It sets you free. It's hard to deal with. It can be hurtful. It can be painful. But it sets the mind and the heart free. If you ever want to see illusionary type lifestyles, and they've thought about this, look at our sports figures. They think they're going to play basketball, football, or whatever sport they're in. They think they're going to play that all there. And they think the money is going to be the same, what? All their lives. And they live in this make-believe world. And we go out and buy ten cars, five homes, and get this, and get that. And then, three years after they're out of the league, we hear that they're broke. Why? Living in a make-believe world. And not living in reality. The reality would be to check. A Michael Jordan was not going to play forever. A Bill Russell didn't play forever. Look at real life. And real life will always tell you truth. And Jesus gives us truth to put into our value system. A system that leads to wholeness. To wholeness of life. And allows for proper or restored function in life. Do you understand? When you have your misbeliefs about God, and a lot of people do, therefore they live a certain way contrary to God's word, and when you see people living to contrary to God's word, they have a misbelief. That misbelief them causes them then to misfunction. What is misfunction? Not to live life the way God has ordained it. It's a malfunction in their life. And then they're always wondering, why don't this work? Why don't that work? Why don't I have this? Why don't I get this? Why doesn't this open for me? Why doesn't this happen for me? When you're not functioning properly, God can't open doors for you. God can't bless you. And life becomes turmoil, turmoil, crisis after crisis. Know that old saying? God bless the child who has their what? Boy, there, there is really something to that. Because the only reason you have your own is because who blessed? Every good and perfect gift coming from where? Yeah. The assumption is in America, work hard, work hard, and your work will give you everything you want. We got people that worked hard. But have no joy, have no peace, have no families. What makes the difference is God and God's word in our lives and applying it properly in our lives. Turn with me to Isaiah 117. Look what God says. And, and, and it's amazing that we won't follow it. Just this very first part of it, he tells us to do something. 117. And ask yourself, boy, is it difficult to do? And it is, and it's challenging. He simply says there in 117, learn to do right. Learn to do right. And what God understands, when you go all the way back to Genesis 5 and 6 again, what happened? All that God saw in man was what? Evil and iniquity. That's all that God saw. Man left to himself will destroy himself. And we see that. And God says now, learn to do right. To do wrong is very easy. To do wrong even makes you 
feel sometimes, and this is fleshly terminology, happy. That's why in Scripture you find the word joy, not the word happy. And yet what happens to us oftentimes is this here. We're running after happiness rather than joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Hey, the joy of the Lord. He strengthens me to overcome. He strengthens me. He doesn't take away my problems. He, he doesn't change my circumstances. Hey. But we're out here running for happiness, a fleshly happiness, which we can't even discover or grasp. And he says, learn to do right. In doing what is right, even when people come against you, you'll find a joy within your life because you were doing what was right. And Peter makes it so, so clear. Sometimes we'll be persecuted for our what? For our righteousness. But we have to learn how to do right. And then we have to desire to do it. What's happening with God's people is this. Not that they don't know to do right. They don't desire to do it. That's what hurts. And that's why we don't see the power of God. Because we got to get to that place where we desire. We really desire to do what is right. And he says, learn to do right. Where are you going to learn it from? Right here. Isaiah 5.20. Isaiah 5.20. Listen to what he says. Because this comes in the area of being true or not. Woe to those who call evil what? Yeah. I'm doing wrong, but I want to be blessed. I'm doing wrong, but I want everybody else to tell me I'm doing okay. I'm doing wrong, but it's supposed to be good. Don't tell me I'm doing bad. Don't tell me I'm doing the wrong thing. This is good for me. This is what makes me happy. This is what's pleasing to me. Understand, sin is only for a season. And misery is coming. Lane and I, we were discussing a young girl. She is 24 years old with seven kids and carrying the eighth one. Tell me the joy that that young girl's going to have. No job. Always got to be running down welfare because you got to get down there to do all the paperwork they want you to do when they say come. You got to jump through all their hoops and see the misbelief of this whole system that's been set up and everybody's been saying we've been living in a faulty system. And our young people don't know history and won't go back and look. Johnson started, President Johnson started what he called the Great Society. He wanted everybody to have a TV. He wanted everybody to have a telephone in their home. He wanted everybody to have what he called the average person of America had. So he upped the welfare system and everything, started giving more money, thinking somehow the people would get used to a certain type of lifestyle and go out and do what? And it backfired. They got the TV. They got the call waiting. They got this and they got that. And who's paying for it all? And now the government's broke. And the whole thing is this here. We built this delusion or this fake type of life for people. And now people expect it to keep going. Some of you are old enough to remember when General MacArthur dispersed the crowd in Washington, D.C. because they came to protest because there was no welfare system. 
It were the poor people after World War I. And it was the first time that the American troops were turned on American people. They were living in the tents. Remember, <laughs> they were living in the tents. And MacArthur's orders was to disband them because they had no place to live. They had no money, no job. And the whole thing in the American system was, go make it the best you can. But they wanted them out of Washington. We have built a make-believe type of system that is on the brinks of falling. And our young people don't know what awaits them. They don't know. And he says, we call evil good. So in most of our public house that we've given people, you could say they're drug homes. Look at how many homes in Akron Metropolitan Housing had to shut down because of what? Drugs. Or party homes. They're, they're not homes that people live in. They're homes that people take and do anything that they want to do in. The whole process we have said, this is right. We look at our whole gay lifestyle. What they're fighting for is, and this, this is, this is mind-boggling. Here are two men fighting to get a marriage certificate. And here's a man and a woman shacking up and saying, I don't need one. Something's wrong. The gay folks are fighting for it. The other ones, they don't care if they ever get it. But yet the gay folks are saying, this is right. This is right for us. This lifestyle is not for everybody. Elaine and I were watching something, and it's called the triune-type lifestyle or whatever, where, where everybody brings their mate in with them. So it was the woman with two husbands. Then the other husband had a girlfriend. And he could bring his girlfriend because they had this open-door policy. Well, when it wound up, it wound up like 13, 14 people. Now we're just into what Scripture call an orgy. <laughs> Arlen went with me, what, two months ago, Arlen? What did you think about that? Wow. I'm still, I'm still processing. We meet the man who's been changed to the woman who introduced his wife. Then we met the woman who was changed into a man who introduced, I mean, it, it was something. Then we hear the testimony of the one man who was changed and went through his change, only by God, my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was I able to go through this. And then we heard from the book of Thomas. And Arlen got on his little cell phone looking up the book of Thomas. You know, because the man was telling us a story that the man who was carrying the picture when Jesus said, go get a place for us to hold Passover, that this individual was doing a woman's job. It was a gay person. Because men didn't carry pitchers of water. Just the women. Now some of the women. And he wanted to identify himself as a woman. And therefore he's carrying the pitcher of water. And then he went through the Bible showing his different characters who were gay. And then he went back into the Hebrew word. When you get into Joseph, he's right. The Hebrew word for the many colors that Joseph had, it is a skirt type thing that the woman wore, but he left off something in the Hebrew. That it was also a very expensive gown that only the rich folks wore, not the average person. So he didn't tell us all the truth, but he told us enough to sink us in to make Joseph to be gay. That's why Joseph took off running from Potiphar's wife because he didn't like that. <laughs> and I was sitting there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what Roscoe would have did. <laughs> Roscoe, because sometimes we need to go and learn and see what we're fighting against. We need to know what they're teaching, what they're saying. And like I told Arlen when we left there, what you felt was the heaviness of sin. 
What you heard was the pain of sin. And what we saw was the crying out of hopelessness. We have come to a place that we call evil good or right wrong. And we want to make wrong right. And it cannot be done. Jeremiah 23, 14. Jeremiah 23, 14. He says, every pastor needs to get into this passage and tear it apart. Every Sunday school teacher needs to get in this and tear it apart right here. Listen to what he says. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, or among my pastors, or among my Sunday school teachers, or among my whatever in leadership, among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. Now I want you to think of our country as we go through this. I've seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a what? Now who is he referring to? When your leaders live this way. Never have a pastor date somebody in the choir or the secretary and divorce his wife for that and you still allow him to be pastor. No, 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 no. A thousand times, no. A pastor, I believe, he makes one mistake. He doesn't lose his salvation, but he does lose the rights from being behind that pulpit. He has to be the example. He cannot go out here and have enough, an affair and say that he slipped. Can't do it. If he can do it, every man in here has a right to go out and do what then? Slip at least one time. And God didn't, he doesn't grant us that. He says, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and they live a lie. They're not living out the truth. They're not living out my word. They're living in a lie. He goes a little further. They strengthen the hands of who? And whenever I see a pastor say, these two men really love each other and they're committed to each other. They just did away with this. That they say that they believe in. When they say, oh yeah, I'll marry two women. They just did away with this. He says, they strengthen the hands of the evildoers. Look at the undecisiveness of the church. And ask, have we strengthened the hands of the gays? Have we strengthened the hands of all those who want to do it? Have, have we strengthened the hands? So that no one turns from his wickedness. When you put a stamp of approval on that which is wrong, they'll never turn from that which is wrong. And they will begin to say, that's right, it's right, it's right. That's why a couple can come into this church. And they can be living together. Nobody's going to attack them right away. Because... They got to hear. And they may not have been taught. Maybe they haven't heard the truth. But after they've heard the truth, and after so long sitting here, six months, seven, nine months, but at some point, you got to go to them. You're living in sin. The way you're living is wrong. And you can't be here living that way. Now, we'll even help you to separate. 
We'll provide or help provide a place for one of you. But you cannot stay the way you are. Why? We would be condoning that type of lifestyle. And many of us in the church today, we have allowed it to come into the church. We're making deacons, we're making this, we're making that, they're in the choir, they're all. No. 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 He says, my prophets live a lie. And we should not live a lie if we're the people of God. If we're the saints of God, if we're the believers of God, we don't live a lie. We live the truth. And we challenge people with the truth. They are like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. No, shouldn't be. We're God's people. We're God's people. Now understand this. Truth affects our emotional system. Sometimes you can hear truth and you'll start what? Boy, you thought somebody wasn't going to make it. They wasn't in this. They're in surgery and this and that. And the doctor come out and say, everything's all right. What happens? You become so overwhelmed with that truth, you just begin to cry. Sometimes truth can come into an area again that breaks you down emotionally. Son or daughter's coming from college run into a tractor trailer. That truth comes, and what does it do? It breaks you down. No matter which truth it might be, we still have to face the truth and deal with that truth. And guess what? Life won't wait on you while you try to handle it or deal with it. But the sooner you deal with it in accordance with truth, the better life you plan for yourself. Truth has to do with our moral life. Because God is truth. When he says, one man, one woman. God is truthful when he says... That sex belong in the marriage bed, not outside of the marriage bed. It's true when God says we should not lie. Because Satan is the father of lies. And the only thing you bring forth from a lie is destruction and pain and hurt. Truth has to deal with our behavior. That if this is true, this is how I truly act. This is how I perform. Back to that area of my function. Are you functioning like a saint? Are you functioning and living like a child of God? Are you living according to the scripture? That's truth. And all you have to do is look at it and ask yourself, am I really living our biblical truth. Now I'm not saying be perfect because none of us are going to really be perfect because the moment I capture this thing in my life, guess what? God shows me another one. <laughs> and when I think I've gotten that one straightened out and under it, God shows me another one. And God says he will work with me until I see Christ face to face. I'm his workmanship. He's working in my life that I can deal with truth and really handle truth. When he says, boy, all have sinned, and when it comes face to face, and you got to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, are you a sinner? What comes back? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. But I don't have to live in sin. 
Praise God. Truth deals with my expectations in life. If you add up the wrong facts, you're going to get the wrong conclusion. But if you add up truths, your, con- your conclusion is going to be true. And oftentimes, we don't want to face those things. And in John 8, 32, again, it says, the truth will do what? Set you free. It unties you. It delivers you from difficulties. It removes the restraints in your life. We often judge a statement, and here's where we are oftentimes. We judge a statement to be true or false on the grounds that it is or is in harmony with what we have already concluded to be what? True. That's why sometimes in the Bible it's not good to write something down and try to go to the Bible to prove that it is. But get into the Bible and research it and let the truth come for itself. Turn with me to Mark 3. I want you to look at this example, 3.22. The, the Pharisees, the lawyers, they already had concluded in their mind that Christ was of the devil. That Christ was of Satan. So they were not going to look at any miracles, anything, or how he lived. Boy, no. Understand now also in this, his own family who didn't understand him and thought maybe he's off. You ever been looked in your family as being off? Something's wrong with you? (laughs) All because you believe God. Something's wrong with you. Or because you do it in a biblical fashion and carrying out truth Man, just lie a little bit. You'll get off the hook. Man, just lie a little bit on your taxes. You'll get this much more back. The thing is, it's not truth. Mark 3. Come down to verse 22 with me. Let me get there. Well, let's start at verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, I'm going to assume that he's been so busy with people that he hadn't been eating right, hadn't been doing things that were good for himself, in a sense, because he's so involved in ministry. Have you ever been engulfed in something so much you haven't had time to sit down and have a good meal? Only thing you've had is a McDonald's. Only thing you've had is a quick this or a quick that. And you know you really haven't been taking care of yourself. And the family looks at Jesus and says, he's not really taking care of himself. Something's wrong. So the family said, we better go see about him. We better go see about him. That's where you get in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside and sent someone in to call him. Because they think, hey, something's wrong with that boy. But come down a little bit further now. Go back into verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So what Jesus is doing is because he's led by Beelzebub. He's casting out demons by the power of Satan. Let's go a little bit further. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parable. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And he just can't talk with them. But what I want you to pick up is this. The Pharisees came there with their already conclusion that Jesus was of who? Of Satan. 
So it don't matter what demons he cast out. It don't matter what hand he filled. It don't matter what eyes he may have opened. He was of who? And to them, that was truth. And what they would not deal with is what the average person was dealing with. We've never seen such things. We never heard anybody speak with such authority. They wouldn't deal with that because their truth was going to do what? If they dealt with that, it was going to bring them where? Bring them down. And do what to Jesus? Lift him up. And sometimes we won't deal with truth because truth will do what? Bring us down. But understand something. And this is what we miss. Though truth sometimes may bring us down, it makes life better for us. In John 14, 6. John 14, 6. Listen to what Jesus says. Not only is he one who is teaching. He said, I don't teach truth per se. And that is something that he is doing. But the reality is, is what he really says. In 14, let me get there. Boy. He says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth. I am truth. Outside of Jesus, there is no truth. And Jesus is saying, everything that I teach, everything that I've said, is what? It's true. Why? It comes from me. I am what? Truth. There is no truth outside of Jesus. And everything Jesus says is truth. He doesn't lie. And that's hard for us to accept. And Jesus says, I am the truth. I am truth. I am truth. And I will not speak a lie to you, nor will I speak in such a way that flatters you, that pleases you, that somehow causes you to believe something that is not true. I will only speak truth to you. He speaks truth to the husband of his responsibility in the house. He speaks to the husband as being the provider. He speaks to the husband as being the protector. He speaks to the husband as being the priest of his home. He speaks truth to us. He speaks to the wife as being the helpmate. He speaks to the wife as being the mother. He speaks to the wife as being a godly woman and an example who will teach younger women. He speaks truth to the woman. He speaks to the children. He speaks to every facet of life with truth. And we don't want to hear it. That when I go to work, I don't go to work for the man, I go to work for him. And scripture tells me that. That I work for the Lord. Not for the man, I work for the Lord. And because I work for him, I do my very best, no matter who I'm working for. No matter what the wages may be, I do my very best. Because I'm there to glorify him. To glorify him. And in closing, truth gives this. And this is oftentimes, again, what we don't want to deal with. Truth makes me have to deal with reality. It makes me have to deal with the reality of my family, my children, my wife, my husband, my finances, my job situation. It makes me have to deal with what? Boy, reality of life. It makes me have to do that. And oftentimes we don't want to deal with the realities. We want to make this make-believe world up. And we've learned to say it this way. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. What's the plan? Don't worry about the plan. It's going to be all right. What's the goal? Just don't worry about it. It's, it's going to be all right. It won't be all right without some plan or some directions. 
a lot of people learned you had a choice. You could downsize yourself or wait until they put you out. <laughs> it's better to just downsize yourself. It's better to have a plan and go ahead and go to the smaller home. But the reality is this. I'm not going to live in this big home now. I can't afford it no longer. Time to downsize. That's truth. That's reality. I can't drive my Mercedes. I can't drive my Lincoln. I can't drive this any longer. Well, nothing wrong with an Escort. Nothing wrong with a Malibu. May not be as prestigious, but it'll get you from A to B. It's reality. It gives stability to a person's life. When somebody always lie to you, how does that make you feel? Uncertain. Hey, one thing, Elaine and I, we, we, we say this to each other, and sometimes we remind, we're going to speak truth to each other. Why? It stabilizes our relationship. She knows where I am. I know where she's at. She knows what I don't like. She knows what I don't like. It stabilizes the relationship. It stabilizes life when you deal with truth. When you don't deal with truth, boy, it doesn't stabilize. There's a good little movie, one of the movies I got that we're on movie night we're going to watch. But the young boy's father, who was in the stock market, he was the CEO of their company and everything. Well, the stock just crashed. It went to nothing. He hit a bad deal. And here's his son believing he's going to Yale. And he's in this prestigious private school with all these other kids. And boy, he's going to Yale with all... And come to find out, he had to go to school in the city. And he didn't like it. He lost his car. He lost this. He lost all these privileges. And he still wanted to live in this world. The reality was, dad was broke. And when dad told him he was broke, he didn't have a dime. And they had to adjust their living. The young man couldn't take it. Truth brings stability to our life. Truth brings forth security and confidence. Security and confidence. See, it's better for me to just tell you right off the bat, I don't have a dime, than try to make you believe I got money. And then when we get married, you find out I don't have what? <laughs> <laughs> the security just went where? <laughs> the confidence in you just went where? Truth gives us security. That's why you always tell your children the what? The truth. It secures them. And it gives them confidence in you. And the last one? Boy. When you really look into this last one, it's amazing. You will find a lot of people depressed, troubled in heart and mind, cannot make a decision, don't know where they're going, how they're going to handle life, what their plans are, all because they will not deal with truth. It heals the mind. Truth heals the mind. How? It corrects all the wrong thoughts that are running through the mind. And a lot of times we will stop the truth at the door because I want to own my own make-believe world and I want to keep thinking the way I'm thinking and the reality things are hopeless if something don't change. But we rather stay in this little make-believe world and suffer through and the pain. Oh, it's going to get better. No, it's not. It's going to get better. No, it's not. It's going to get better. No, it's not. And all the thoughts run through your mind. Oh, uh, yeah, isn't it so nice? 
He beat me up last night, but he bought me a rose today. He getting better. He thinking about me. Well, I caused it. If I didn't act like this, he would have been faithful. If I didn't act like this, she would have been faithful. If I would have did that, and you get all the wrong thoughts running through the mind. And truth corrects the wrong thoughts. For that when you get the right thoughts, now you can put together a game plan that moves you forward. But as long as you're dealing with the wrong thoughts, every one of your so-called plans just fail. Because they're the wrong thoughts that needs to be corrected. And when you correct and deal with the proper thoughts, now you will function properly as God has ordained you to function as a godly man or a godly woman. You, you catch truth then? Truth is for us that we might function. It's not, it's not to hurt us. It's not to keep us away from something. It's to help us to deal with the reality of life. Father, we thank you, O oh God, that you continue, O oh God, to just deliver truth unto us. And though at times, Lord, we admit truth is difficult and hard to handle, that, Lord, you're right there with us. And sometimes truth breaks us down and breaks us to tears, O oh Lord, but you're right there with us. And sometimes, Lord, the truth is something I don't want to even hear or have to deal with, oh God. But, Lord, you're right there to help set the plans if I'm willing to deal with the truth. And, Lord, truth is something Dwight has to handle and Vicky has to handle. But because they have truth before them, they can plan somewhat the number of days that you may give to white. It helps them to have a little time to do and it stabilizes them because they know what to expect. Truth is not always joyful. But it helps me, oh God, to adjust my life and to do what is right in your sight. Father, may you minister to us, your people, about dealing truthfully in everything that we deal with. And may we desire to be honest before you, because, Lord, thy knoweth everything that we do. Nothing's hid from you. And help us to put it to the test. That when we do what is right, the blessing is there. As you said to Cain, if you do what is right, the reward is there. Help us to understand that, Lord. That we do what is right, the reward is there in life. And we'll give you the praise and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to give to the Lord, we give just rejoicing, saying, Lord, thank you for what you have done. For it is God who has blessed us. It is God who has kept us. It is God who has provided for us.